0: 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you who have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy." The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, I thank you so much for this word, this powerful word. And I pray, Father, that you would speak through Mark powerfully this evening, that you would give him your word for us, your church. I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and to fill him with your power and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Uh, especially after two years of pandemic. So it's been said that no one makes their dreams come true unless they're awake. A French poet of the 20th century, Paul Valéry, he wrote this, the best way to make your dreams come true is to wake up. You've got to be awake to make your dreams come true. And this scripture, this love letter from Jesus to the church at Sardis is all about the importance of waking up, of being spiritually alert, of not falling into a spiritual slumber or doze. And we follow a God who loves to wake us up. So we see him waking up uh, the young boy Samuel in the temple, We see him waking up the prophet Zechariah. We see him waking up Lazarus, his friend, when he's actually fallen asleep to the point of death. We see Jesus waking up the sleeping disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. And here we see him waking up the church at Sardis. He's all about waking up. And what does he want you to wake up to tonight, I wonder? Well, there are three types of spiritual sleep that Jesus talks about in this passage that he's longing to wake us up out of. And the first one is the sleep of reputation. The sleep of reputation. Jesus says to the Sardis church, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead, wake up. That's cheerful. Jesus says, don't live in the reputation that has been given you by others. Don't live in the reputation of your past either. Live in the present. Sardis was a city that was high up on a kind of rocky precipice. It was actually 1,500 feet above the plain, and it looked completely invincible. It looked impregnable. But twice in its history... It was conquered by those who scaled up this rock and somehow impossibly took it captive. It was captured and it was compromised. And Jesus is saying here that the church in Sardis has become compromised too. So we need to live in the revelation of how Jesus sees us and not in the reputation that is given to us by other people. Embrace reality and the revelation of Jesus rather than your reputation, because that is an unreliable thing. Now, before I came to faith, I worked uh, for a while as a theater director, and I used to audition well-known actors to act in productions. And um, I'd work in this uh, second-floor audition room, and I'd call in these actors, and many of them had pretty interesting reputations. They were people that one had heard of, but perhaps hadn't seen around for a couple of years. And sometimes they would come in and they would be very different from what I'd expected. In fact, I'd look out the audition window before they came into the room, and I'd see them tottering out of the pub across the road, and their hands were shaking, and they were actually finding it difficult to keep steady. And they'd come into the room, and they would actually bring a lot of brokenness with them. And they were trying to live out their reputation to me and the casting director who was with me. But in fact, it was their reality that we could see all too easily. Jesus says, don't be fooled by believing in simply reputation, by believing your own spin or the spin that others give you. No, It's more complex than that. Thomas Paine, the American political writer, said this, Reputation is what men and women think of us. Character is what God and the angels know of us. God knows our real heart. We know our real heart too. And that can be something which is very different from how other people see us. Sometimes... We need a wake-up call in our lives. A friend recently uh, received a really difficult medical diagnosis which has led to three bouts of chemotherapy for them. She received a wake-up call. Now, was that bad news or was it good news? It was bad news for her when she received it. It's good news for her that she's still alive. She would be dead if she hadn't received that diagnosis. You need a realistic diagnosis in order to be able to apply a reliable remedy. Now, of course, it's cruel to give somebody a really difficult diagnosis unless you can give them a remedy at the same time. But the person who is writing this letter is our remedy. Jesus, he's both our medic and he's our medicine. As I said, I I worked for many years directing in theater, and um, at that time, God held little reality for me. Reputation held a lot of reality for me, my reputation and, and the reputation of people that I worked with. But reality was catching up with me. My personal life was restless and at times a bit chaotic. And there came a point where I found something within me that was spiritually wanting more. And I remember on uh, December the 24th, 1999, just before the millennium, uh, I felt led to go to church on Christmas Eve for a kind of midnight mass service. And um, I don't know what drew me there, except, of course, I do know now, somebody drew me there, God drew me there. And I remember the preacher there quoting Martin Luther King from a speech he made in 1965, where he said this, there are some things so dear, some things so precious, some things so eternally true that they're worth dying for. And if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. I remember those words just shaking me to my core because if I thought about it, I didn't know what I was ready to die for or prepared to die for. And therefore, in some way, according to Martin Luther King, I didn't know what I was really living for. So I was shaken. I'd been handed a diagnosis, and now I needed to find a remedy. And I spent 18 months spiritually searching and going to one church after another, and uh, and nothing kind of quite clicked until in September 2001, just after 9-11, I walked into a church in London and started doing an alpha course. And I met the man from Galilee, the man who has written this letter tonight, now seated in the heavenless. Uh, One who had discovered something that he would die for, something so precious, someone so precious, me, you, you and I. We are the ones that Jesus dies for. And then I, I saw my sin, and I saw the way that his perfect sacrifice had covered that. I saw I'd been spiritually dead for years, and here he was at last waking me up, giving me a wake-up call. I'd suddenly discovered a savior, and that I had a friend in heaven. And I could hear the gospel at last because I had ears to hear. I'd probably heard it before, but my ears had been spiritually blocked. And Jesus says at the end of this letter, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Can we hear what he's saying to us tonight? And then the second sleep that Jesus wants to wake us up from is the sleep of forgetfulness. Jesus tells the church at Sardis this, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. What does that mean? Well, it's the only one of the seven letters in the book of Revelation where Jesus doesn't name any specific sins in the church. He doesn't accuse them of sexual immorality or believing the wrong kind of doctrine. The thing is, you can be a Christian... And nothing can be visibly wrong on the surface. You're not spiritually alive, though. You are spiritually dead. How so? Well, not because you're partying or doing something terribly immoral or obviously hurting each other. But you've fallen into what the Bible calls a state of sloth. Sloth was one of the seven Deadly sins. It was actually thought to be one of the worst of them. And the Latin word for sloth means absence of care. It means you don't really care about anything anymore in your heart. It's a heart condition, it's like a kind of heart sickness. When we are afflicted by sloth, we're not attacked in our body or our mind but we're kind of deadened and dampened in our spirit. Jesus says to Sardis that your failure is a failure to apply the gospel to your life. He's saying to them, you've become complacent, you've become apathetic, and isn't this what all of us at times become in our Christian walk? The only question for Jesus is, whether you are spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Now, it's easy in the spiritual life to fall asleep or for the enemy to kind of um, take advantage in your life while you're dozing. It had happened, as I said, twice in the history of Sardis, There was a time in the 6th century BC when it happened, a time in the 3rd century BC when it happened. And it began like this. The enemy troops were on the plain below, 1,500 feet below Sardis, and they saw a soldier on the battlements at the top drop his helmet down an apparently steep, impossible-to-climb drop. And what they then saw was the soldier climbing down this rock face, disappearing into a crevice, and then reappearing with his helmet. In other words, they knew that there was some way of actually getting up to Sardis through that crevice. And that was the way those enemy troops that went up by night and took the city captive. We've all got weak spots. We've all got Achilles' heels. We've all got blind spots. Not one of us is impregnable. Our lives can be taken captive. And Jesus says to Sardis this, and this is his remedy. This is what the good doctor now says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Strengthen what remains. And then he adds, remember therefore what you have received and have heard. In other words, Sardis has already got the remedy in its hands. It doesn't need some new medicine. It doesn't need some miracle cure. It's already received the gospel. The people there have heard the gospel, but they've gone dead to it. They've lost the wonder of it. They've somehow, it's grown a dull thing in their lives. And Jesus is saying, remember what you've already heard and strengthen what you've already received and that is in your heart. They've become apathetic. They have become slothful. You have a remedy already. We need to embrace something different from the sleep of forgetfulness. We need to embrace forgiveness. This is what they've forgotten. They have forgotten to confront the reality of their sin and to bring it in confession to their Lord and God. So at home in our kitchen, we have a stainless steel uh, kitchen bin, and um, sometimes it gets pretty full, and you'll open the top, and there'll be a banana skin on the top, and it's pretty smelly, and you realize it's time to clean the bin. And so you start trying to get the bin liner out. And, you know, because that bin hasn't been cleaned for a while, hasn't been emptied for a while, it's, it's hard to pull that liner out. So sometimes you have to kind of remove some things from the top of it in order to make the job a bit easier. Maybe you've had that experience yourselves. And sometimes, you know, actually I find another bag with another bunch of rubbish further down in the bin, in the bin liner. It's been there longer. And that is full of rubbish that's been there for even longer, that's compressed, that's like dead waste, like the church at Sardis. And when we confess and repent and bring our sins to God and admit them to Him, it's like we're, we're emptying our bin and bringing it to Him. We're leaving it, the contents, with Him, and we're walking away lighter. That is what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to turn from forgetfulness to receiving His forgiveness. What happens when we receive his forgiveness? We discover that we're surrounded by the overpowering mercy of God. We discover that we're forgiven, not because of our faith, but because we have a forgiver. The Lord is the forgiver. And then the third type of sleep that Jesus says, wake up from, that's the sleep of helplessness. Yesterday, I visited my uh, aged father-in-law in in a residential care home where he's gone for a couple of weeks for um, some respite care. Uh, And he was saying that compared with the last residential home that he'd been in briefly, um, this one was a lot better. He said of the residents in the other one, they'd lost their zest. That was his word, they'd lost their zest. It's not a word I use much but he meant they'd lost their hunger for life. We can all lose our spiritual spark. We can all become kind of flattened out in some way. And the believers at Sardis had left their deeds undone. They were failing to fulfill the mission of God because of their complacency. But Jesus now continues with this. He says, yet... You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Jesus says, look at those around you who are living righteous lives. They've traded inertia for initiative. They haven't fallen into this state of sloth. They're not just leaning on their reputation, they're in touch with the reality of who they are, and they're bringing their muck to God and leaving it with him. They're not just leading saved lives, they're leading sanctified lives. And if you ask me to um, show you, a, uh, or define for you a fully formed, mature disciple of Jesus, I think I'd find it really hard to define what is it that makes a really mature Christian person. Uh, if you ask me to say, what are the conditions for creating that kind of person? You know, I'd, I'd have a stab at it, but I'd struggle. But what I could do is I could point to someone in our church and I could say, I think that is such a person. That is a person who's not living for themselves, they're living for God. They're giving themselves away to others. They're not caught in the self-absorption of slothfulness. They're caught up in a spirit of self-sacrifice. And we can imitate such people. When we give up our independence, we can imitate them and model ourselves after them. Who are these people in white that he's talking about? Well, fundamentally, All believers, if you believe in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a man or woman, the Bible says, dressed in white. Next week, we're going to have baptism services here. And in the early church, when they baptized people, the baptism candidates came up out of the waters and they were dressed in a white robe as a sign of their new life in Christ. A former rector of this church called Michael Green, he was once preaching at a a church in India, and he was standing there in in these kind of white priestly robes that he'd been asked to wear by the prison chaplain. And in front of him, there were hundreds of Indian men in rags, sitting on the floor. And Green was explaining to them about how Jesus' perfect sinlessness covers our sinfulness and how the slate is wiped clean and as he explained this he invited up one of the particularly uh, desperate looking men up onto the platform with him and he asked this prisoner to take off his dirty rag of a shirt and the man took it off and Michael Green in his priest's garb then took off his white robes and he put that white robe over the shoulders of the filthy prisoner and he took the dirty shirt of the filthy prisoner and put it upon himself. And the prison just erupted because it was an amazing sign of what Jesus does for you And I. And can you imagine what that must have felt like for Michael Green standing there, putting that white robe on that man? That's how Jesus feels in this passage about us, about his longing for each one of us to walk in the white robes that he has given us. And then he adds this, the one who is victorious will, like them, like these people he's described, be dressed in white. That's you. That's you. You can overcome, Jesus says. Whatever situation you're in, however impossible the odds seem, you can overcome. That is his word. That is his promise. A saint isn't someone who's perfect. We mustn't think that. A saint is somebody who sins but brings their stuff, their dirty linen, regularly to God, who comes to God in confession and repentance and walks away with white robes that are fresh. Jesus says to you tonight, your deeds may be unfinished, but I have completed a finished deed for you. That's what I've done for you on the cross. You don't need to do any more except come to me. Jesus is chasing you because he wants to champion you. He's chasing you down this evening. And when we lose our spiritual moorings in life, we we do become introspective, we do become self-absorbed. We do turn in on ourselves and we turn away from doing good to others. But Jesus says embrace hopefulness because helplessness will get you nowhere. You'll just go round and round and round in circles. He says throw off passivity and look to heaven because it will give you wonderful direction and purpose and initiative in your life. Overcome, Jesus says, and one day you'll walk with me just as Adam walked, with God in the Garden of Eden. You'll walk with me in heaven, you'll be dressed in white, and I'll champion you and your name to my Father in heaven. And he says your name will be written in the book of life. Don't sink into despondency, he says. You've got a destiny, and it's confirmed between the pages of that book where your name is written. Can you imagine, your name, if you're a follower of Christ, it's written in a book that sits there in heaven at this very moment. That is the guarantee, if you follow Christ, of your eternal destiny with him. And if you live in the reality of that, it will motivate you, it will move you, and it will shift you out of a place of spiritual sloth. You can't earn your way into the book of life. Your name is there because God has ordained it in his perfect will. It's penciled in, and when you say yes to following Christ, then it's written in, in indelible ink, which nothing will ever shift. We are required to say yes to Jesus and to give our assent. And if you already believe then your name is already there. If you've already said yes to Jesus, your name is in those pages. And Jesus says to you again tonight, shape your life around the promises that have been given you of your destiny lying in heaven. That doesn't mean that you're going to be without problems in this world, but it means this is only the beginning of the story, and that destiny rolls on right into eternity. The Bible tells us God never sleeps. He never sleeps. The best way to make your dreams come true is to wake up. So shake off sloth tonight. Don't get soggy and saggy like the church at Sardis. Look to Jesus who looks down from heaven at each one of you. Amen. Why don't we stand, let's have the band back up, and let's come to the Lord. You might like to just hold your hands out, uh, just as a sign of openness before the Holy Spirit. And let's just uh, say a prayer now. Uh, Perhaps there's there's someone here, or some of you here tonight, who... Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before. You've never felt sure. And tonight, uh, you want to know that your name is written in that book of life. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer, if that's you now. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit. We say, come Holy Spirit, and fill this place. Come Holy Spirit. And if you want to say yes to Jesus now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given your life for me. Thank you that you consider me precious enough to save. Thank you that you came to earth so that I will be with you in heaven. I turn away from anything messy in my life And I look to you as the Lord of my life. Lord, give me the assurance right now that my name is written in your book of life. Thank you for your salvation. Amen.